from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. So the peering concepts will be um, must probably the biggest thing that that was the base of the internet uh, creation at the beginning it was just the big mainframes talking to each other. And in the meantime, uh, you know we have other uh, slave users that they talk to a master. So this con- this colonial concept also exists in the uh, in the communication. So yeah, master and slave, uh, and normally you should have you know peer to peer people talking to each other. And IPv6 will resolve this issue. IPv6, or Internet Protocol version 6, is basically a freeway for the Internet. It's a communications protocol that does two things, provides identification and locates computers and networks across the vast sea of cyberspace. It was developed by the Engineering Task Force because the existing IP4 system ran out of addresses on the 25th of November 2019. But the approaching IPv6 is more than simply an address book for the internet. Professor Latif Ladid explains how it can be integrated with a blockchain layer 3 to spell an end to what he calls our existing colonial infrastructure, a system in which slaves or users are forced to appeal to masters or servers in order to communicate. Professor Latif Ladid serves as chair at the 5G World Alliance and is president of the IPv6 Forum. In this episode, he provides history, context, and a deep technical understanding of how IPv6 will quietly change the internet in the years to come. Today, we're talking to Professor Latif Ladid. Um, Latif, thank you so much for joining us on the UAE Tech Podcast. Could you very quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me, uh, Latif Ladid, based in Luxembourg. Uh, uh, I'm a researcher at the University of Luxembourg, uh, but on a voluntary basis, uh, I am the founder and president of the IPv6 Forum for the last 20 years, as well as a member of certain organizations like IEEE, where I co-chair the IEEE 5G World Forum, as well as the IEEE Blockchain World Forum as well. But also uh, I chair the Etsy IPE, which is the IPv6 Enhanced uh, Innovation uh, uh, Specification uh, Group. There's a lot there. And I'm going to ask you about how some of that work is connected, particularly with the blockchain. But what is IPv6 for some of our our listeners who who might not be aware of the the term? Uh, So so basically, uh, the US government has stopped using the Internet Protocol from 85 until 91. And then um, uh, the uh, inventors of the Internet, that's Bob Kahn and Vincent, have been lobbying the US government again and the industry. And then the, the internet was kicked off uh, in 91 by opening the NSF 
uh, uh, network which became the internet. And at that time, uh, we have already recognized that uh, almost half of the IP addressing has been uh, used. So by opening the internet to the world, basically you need more IP addresses. That's why there was a call within the ITF, the Internet Engineer Task Force, to review the IP protocol and see what is the next generation internet protocol should be. So uh, many proposals have been, uh, have been made in, back in 95. And basically, IPv6 has been pre-selected, and then they had to work on the uh, definition of, of IPv6, and it was released in uh, December 1998, so that we had the, the first internet protocol for IPv6 called RFC 2460. On that basis, uh, I have proposed to the group that was defining it to start the IPv6 forum in 99. And the IPv6 forum prime work was to promote the use of the uh, new protocol to government, uh, industry, academia, research. And that was uh, 20 years of, uh, of very dedicated uh, efforts in order to get everyone on, on, on the board. Thank you for that um, really interesting kind of historical background on on you know internet uh, domain names ipv6 and also what a lot of people i think don't understand is that we go on the, the the internet every day and we use it and you don't we don't really think about it but increasingly a lot of these protocols have been subject to multi-stakeholder governance forums at the united nations between states behind the scenes uh, and ever more increasingly there's a lot of background diligence and work being going on with governments and with civil society on a lot of these protocols that are increasingly powering the internet. And there's a lot of government bodies, European Union does a lot of work on it, on this kind of work. So with the IPv6, just, you know, breaking that apart, is that simply that there were not enough domain name registers or it, does that expand the addressable market for domain names um, massively or is it more than that? Well, basically, uh, IP, uh, as we use it today, is one of the most beautiful protocols on the planet because it connects all of us. Uh, but this beauty uh, aged a bit, and the address space is one of it, since we have run out of IP for addresses already back in, in 2011 from the central pool. And then it started to deplete as well at the registries and then at the ISPs. Uh, so IPv6 is, is a beauty surgery of IP. So we have kept the good things of IPv4 and added many new things that are not yet uh, understood by, by the market. But uh, in the meantime, we have something like 45% of the world using IPv6 without knowing it, and that should be the case as well. Although uh, IPv6 is fundamental now for all kinds of uh, new applications like 5G, uh, IoT, cloud computing, and as late to blockchain. So blockchain is an application sitting on top of the internet, but with IPv6, we can use it at layer three, which means that we can use IPv6 addresses end to end and create a far better uh, secure link between peers. In this case, uh, it's the users will peer with each other directly Instead of today, you have somebody in between that are, that are peering people. 
just because they didn't have their own address space. So you have been given a temporary IP IP for address, and then the, the servers connect these guys with those identified IP addresses. But in the future, we'll all peer with each other directly. And this is one of the most uh, important innovation on the internet in the future, as things should talk to each other directly instead of going through servers. So the peering concepts will be, um, must probably the biggest thing that, that was the base of the internet uh, creation at the beginning, it was just the big mainframes talking to each other. And in the meantime, uh, you know, we have other slave users that they talk to a master. So this, concept, this colonial concept also exists in the, uh, in the communication. So you have master and slave, uh, and only should have, you know, peer-to-peer -peer people talking to each other. And IPv6 will resolve this, uh, this issue. And many, many new things. I mean, that's fascinating. I didn't know that IPv6 would integrate with the blockchain in that way. I didn't know that it would be peer-to-peer. I had no idea and I completely agree with you about the master and slave relationship and the idea of going through a server being very, very frustrating. I uh, would like to ask you, how are governments responding to this? Because even in democratic states, we're increasingly seeing so much pushback against and so much, um, I don't know, concern, be it, be it real or faux, about freedom on the internet, about peer-to-peer -peer communications and this idea that really you know, almost that platforms should play a role in interdicting or um, controlling to some extent what happens, be it in speech, be it in finance, or even be it in, in things like taxing businesses, some things which are legitimate. So do you think there will be pushback from policyholders and governments against the peer-to-peer -peer aspect of IPv6? Or do you think generally there's consensus around some of these new mechanisms? No, as a matter of fact, in the country, the governments around the world uh, pushing for IPv6, and you can see the adoption uh, very strong, be it in the US, Europe, and, and even the biggest uh, internet nations like China. China has all, almost half a billion people using IPv6 without knowing it. The number two country in the world is India with 350 million IPv6 users. Through a single ISP called Reliance Jio, they have IPv6 running over 4G. So. So there are a lot of uh, initiatives uh, as late the US government uh, networks would like to move to IPv6 only by 2025. So that would be uh, most probably the first step to divorce the internet from IPv4. Because as a matter of fact, IPv6 is a clean slate uh, design of IP. So, so we, we uh, did not want IPv6 to be compatible with IPv4 if we do, did that, then we cannot divorce IPv4 from the internet. So I, I would expect that by 2030, uh, IPv6 would be run only on the internet. But it will take a bit of time. So you'll have something like 25% of the world doing IPv6 by 2025. 50% will do dual stacks, so IPv4 and IPv6. And obviously, you have also latecomers, uh, you know, like you know, uh, developing nations we still run IP for, for a while. But uh, the, 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 there, are, there are some issues that are not directly related to the internet. So data sovereignty is fundamental. <clears throat> so you have cloud services that are you know, based in the US and obviously with the Cloud Act in the, in the US, it requires that all data should be 
archived back in the US so that NSA can have access to the data. So the European Commission has created the GAIA-X uh, platform so that all the data should be archived in Europe and not anywhere else. And I think uh, every country is looking at data, the data sovereignty in their countries. At least, uh, you know, some of the cloud uh, service providers are also looking at GDPR and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm not uh, that's that much worried from that side. Uh, on the contrary, if I look at the Middle East, so the biggest adopters are Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, uh, even supported by the regulators, so the TRA in, 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 in the UAE, who have been promoting IPv6 for, for a while, as a matter of fact, for 15 years. Uh, it just takes a bit of uh, time for industry you know, to do that, because an upgrade is never a simple thing. And you should know that the internet infrastructure worldwide is about $10 trillion. So you cannot just upgrade it in, in one single switch. So you have to have you know, a use case. So it could be the address space, but it could be also new application or greenfield deployments. And the standardization behind this one is following these steps and also uh, enticing people you know, to go for the modern internet protocol because uh, the internet has become a critical infrastructure like electricity, water, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, anyone that would like to censor the internet, uh, you know, they can do it for a couple of uh, a couple of months or something like that, out of emotional reasons or world reasons. But in the end, the internet is fundamental uh, for not only connecting people, but for business, for big, big business, for the enterprise. The enterprise today are selling half of their volume through the internet. So, so it's, it's, it's not that simple to, uh, you know, identify the internet as a bad thing. You know, just compare it to the knife was created, you know, you know, a couple of million years ago, just you know to cut the uh, thick skin of the uh, of, of the animals, you know, to have access to the protein, which gave uh, you know uh, us a bigger brain today. But the knife has been used later on for something else, like you know, killing people and so on. So all new technologies have their positives and negatives but they still stay with us like the knife. I agree with that. And we've done uh, a couple of episodes on cloud infrastructure in the Middle East and globally. Uh, the last episode we did was a very interesting group called Deep Square based out of Switzerland, but with um, a lot of experience uh, within their team in the Middle East. And they talked a lot about the Cloud Act. They talked a lot about data sovereignty. They talked a lot about um, how some of these new systems such as blockchain would enable them to build um, hardware cloud storage in different countries and also have, you know, tokenization and, and different community groups, even researchers using some of these cloud facilities or, or machine learning facilities that in the past were simply um, too expensive for them to access. So I think that's a good example of how um, some emerging technologies are changing the use cases or changing what's possible. But I wanted to just focus on a couple of things you mentioned about IPv6, because this is so interesting. It goes to the heart of a lot of what's going to happen in the internet in future. And the first question I wanted to ask is, why do you think the rollout between states is different or uneven? Why have some states adopted IPv6 faster than others? And the second question related to that, again, is if you could just summarize what you think are the key technical benefits of IPv6, just as concisely as possible, um, yeah. Because I know we've spoken about 
domain names and, and, and IP addresses, but I think people will find that very interesting. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so the main benefits, uh, basically, it's the address uh, space, which is fundamental. Because if you want to grow the internet, you have to have more IP addresses. Domain names are just, you know, a name that uh, hides the IP address because it's too complex to read. So without uh, without addressing domain name does not work at all. No? So 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 domain name just facilitates for people to read the, what Thanks. is. Yeah, that's a useful distinction. Thank you. That's correct. Yeah. So so it's not that fundamental. I can use the IP address without the domain name. Most probably. For security services, I will not uh, use the domain name. I would just use the IP address, especially IPv6. Cannot be, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, tracked. Uh, so it takes a couple of millions of years in order to find an IPv6 address. While uh, you know, scanning the IPv4 address space can be done in five minutes to find all the IP addresses around the world. So, uh, so these are some hidden benefits. Uh, the, the, the most important thing is that we are going to connect something like you know, 80 to 100 billion devices in the next couple of years. And you want to have direct access to these devices in order to properly manage them, not have them, you know, everyone is uh, creating its own address space, and so forth, uh, its own networks without having IP addressing. So the management of the networks is, is very cumbersome today. And IPv6 with its auto configuration, as well as directly managing each device, especially the devices talking to each other, would create a far greater performance and efficiency of, of their network management. And the, and the next fundamental thing is that we have new functionalities that are very important that use the end to end uh, protocol, like uh, I'm not going to detail, but segment routing is fundamental so you can cross multiple networks. You know, to give you far better quality of service experience, uh, which are deployed, interesting enough, uh, very large network in, uh, in Africa now, over six or seven countries are deploying it. And it's quite interesting that developing nations are picking up these new features to, uh, you know, leapfrog the deployment of IPv6 in their countries. So, 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 so it's fundamental to um, make sure that the internet keeps growing. So the, the prime killer application of the of IPv6 is the internet itself. And then you have all the verticals. So 5G so, and down the road, 6G, uh, the agriculture, uh, you know, the health. So these are the uh, easier ones to access to because you need to have immediate access to data in order to make decisions on top of that. If you look at data, uh, you, know, you know, big data, so you have to wait until you assemble the, da the data and also uh, 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 compute it, you know, to get some results out of it. While you know the biggest, and most important thing down the road is the big IoT data, where you need to have access to the data in order to make decisions instantly. So, so that would be a far bigger approach to use IPv6 down the road, you know, to manage the environment for whatever reasons and what for whatever sectors. And then you have you know, the, the bigger markets that are far bigger than the communication, which is, you know, the, the car manufacturers are going into automated, autonomous uh, driving, you know, be it for cars, uh, trains and planes and so on and so forth. And some of them are already using autonomous uh, driving. You know, for instance, in the airport, you have the trains that are running automatically and so on. 
so you want to spread that for multiple reasons for economy for safety security and so on and so forth so the internet ipv6 would be very well used for managing the networks you know combined with wireless networks such as you know 5g today or tomorrow with terahertz access seems to be you know terabit type of communication so so, so we, are, we are in this uh, big venture in front of us, and uh, you mentioned blockchain. Blockchain uh, today is will be going through three generations. The first one is is obviously uh, the, you know the, the big Bitcoin thing, which has gotten a bit out of uh, out of control because it has become a big a kind of casino that people are not investing. It's not an asset. It just uh, basically a kind of speculation and that's not the purpose really of blockchain so 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 probably you know the the, the thing that has been promoted as of late by greg uh, uh, Wright is to go to the bsv thing and use it for just uh, you know micro uh, payments uh, for anything like on the internet if i if i if i want to ask somebody to use my data you know, he would have to pay me for it, you know, a couple of cents. But, you know, you know, if you do it with everyone or so on, you can make a couple of dollars a day or something like that. So that kind of application is really fundamental. And that is where we should go instead of going to the speculative thing. So you can use BSV for real applications, not for speculation. The second thing is things like smart contracts. And then the third generation blockchain will be using it for IoT and so on. Because after all, the, the security is very expensive and it's very difficult to do. And the infrastructure today we have is not power you know, uh, enough you know, to do security at the same time as connecting because it, it, you, know, you lose latency as such. So probably with lightweight uh, blockchain, especially having uh, proper keys, and this is where IPv6 can play a role uh, because we, what we have, what we call the crypto, cryptographically generated uh, addresses. In this case, you don't need to have a central uh, a key uh, infrastructure. So you can do peer-to-peer -peer by uh, uh, having a public key between two people. And they can connect to each other very well. This could really scale in a, in a high uh, trajectory. And basically, this is where IoT, government, industry, and so on will be using the blockchain uh, for at least that the data is encrypted. And the network currently, if you use IPv4, it's easily hackable. We saw that it happened in a big, a big way back in July 2017 when the keys have been hacked. And, uh, and, uh, and Bitcoin dropped from $20,000 to $5,000. So nobody can tell me that uh, you know blockchain today is secure. It's not. So this is where we most probably will have to work with some of the experts from the BSV uh, uh, folks uh, and with uh, Greg, you know, to uh, you know create some pilots, you know, to see how we can use IPv6 end to end, you know, to uh, you know promote a proper way of getting blockchain to work for all of these sectors. Yeah, I know there is uh, there are efforts in in the blockchain world as well to kind of um, come up with new ways of um, domain domain name registry on the blockchain and, and um, 
that kind of thing. I've used one of them myself. I'm not sure where that's going in the future. But I wanted to ask you a bigger question, really, which is, how do you see this in terms of the history of the internet? If you look at you know, the beginnings of the internet in the 1970s under Eisenhower, and then campus culture, and um, you know, the beginning of the web with Sir Tim Berners-Lee, and then moving, moving on a decade, you've got multi-stakeholder internet governance, you've got Snowden, um, you've got states all over the world, as you said, now very, you know, most of the significant parts of the economy, particularly after COVID-19, and now digital. Within that kind of history, um, how big do you think will the shift to IPv6 be? Is this kind of an inflection point or is this just one small step on a longer journey? Well, as a matter of fact, that's a very good question because people are talking about the digital transformation. And we have already achieved that uh, way back in 1999 when 3GPP, uh, an organization that defines 3G and 4G, 5G now, uh, it's part of the Etsy and multiple standardization bodies from around the world. So I approached them at that time. And you know, they, they were not interested in, uh, in using IP internet protocol uh, for 3G at that time. So they wanted to create their own called web, basically web access protocol combined with IMS uh, for the internet management system so that each ISP will have its own kind of internet access and so on. So at that time, when I talked to them, I said, you know, we already have half a billion users around the world using the internet protocol. How about, you know, just adding that to your, your standardization and, and you've got half a billion users to use 3G right in the beginning. And they said, well, we have looked at IP and the address space was not enough. So I mentioned them, well, in the meantime, we have IPv6. And they liked the approach. And as my fact, was specified back in May 10, 2000. But when the deployment of 3G started, so at that time, most of the vendors did not have, you know, a kind of uh, IPv6 mature products. And the ISPs, uh, personnel, technical people were not really up to spec to do, to do that. So they moved back to IP itself. So basically, without, if we didn't have IPv6, the internet wireless, the wireless internet revolution will not have been created. You know, Apple back in 2008 had started with the uh, iPhone, which everyone is using now, smartphones. So IPv6 had already big impact 20 years ago. So, uh, so currently, we, as I mentioned, we are already at 50% of the uh, uh, internet introduction or penetration. And despite anything we have, be it, you know, call it, you know, wars or, or digital transformation, so negative and positive put together. Uh, the uh, internet is, as I mentioned, is really fundamental to everyone. And even if some countries decide to lock them down, they still will use it in-house, in that place, you know, to communicate with each other because there is no other uh, protocol that can be put together to be so smart then the IP protocol. So from that side, I'm confident that, you know, through time, always, you know, very mature technologies that have served us for a long time, you know, be it electricity or whatever, they will be with us for a long time. All other things are just passing noise and the world would prevail. It does seem like a lot of deep thinking and deep research has gone into this. Um, 
That's a good segue into your work with the IEEE. I wanted to ask you a bit about the IoT initiative. Uh, I know that's important because presumably each IoT device would require its own IP address. And also a little bit about what the IEEE is doing more generally at the moment in this space. So, so there are a lot of uh, organizations working on, uh, on IoT. So, so the prime one is the, uh, uh, the IETF, which is the Internet Engineering Task Force, uh, which has uh, created multiple protocols, be it 6 planning how to uh, compress the IPv6 address to almost zero, as well as routing protocols like ROG. We have some of the people that are working on it uh, that are also uh, working with us in ETSI, which is the European uh, uh, standardization body, as well as 3GPP, which has mandated IPv6 for IoT, uh, and some of the first deployments using IPv6 only are done by NTT Docomo for their IoT uh, uh, large-scale deployment. And you have also uh, IEEE, uh, of which I am a part of it, I happen to be co-chair of the IEEE IoT uh, World Forum, which I have started uh, six years ago, as well as the ITU is also working on IoT. So all standardization bodies are working on it in one way or another. Uh, so but the most important thing, who are the guys that are going to produce best practices and, and practice guides to move to a larger scale IoT? So only uh, time will tell us. So in terms of the uh, deployments of IoT in many places, so you have very large uh, grid deployment that are happening, for instance, in Canada. Uh, the, uh, Vancouver is using IPv6 uh, uh, for grid uh, in, I think, 3 million houses. In, wow, in fascinating. Wow. Yeah, yes. So. U.S. government is also using IoT, IoT-based thing, and uh, I would expect also China to do the same thing. So, 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 so the issue is that we have also a couple of generations of IoT. So currently, many of them are still using IPv4. So only few are uh, doing that. So I would expect that uh, IoT will also mature to be smarter and using also you know, uh, ASIC in, in the uh, IoT devices, but the devices are going to be more intelligent than today because the majority do not have enough space in their CPU, you know, to have an IPv6 stack. So, so it would be the, the third generation of IoT, which I would call the smarter IoT uh, age uh, that is in front of us. And this is where basically IoT devices will talk directly to each other. So we have an IoT peer-to-peer -peer communication between these devices. And this is where automation happens. Then IoT become, uh, can be deployed in larger scale in different scenarios, be it in agriculture or health and so on and so forth. And it will play a major role because that's, that's what the internet is moving to. We have only 7 billion people on this planet and hopefully all of them will be connected to the internet in one way or another. But it's the devices, the billions of devices that are going to serve uh, mankind. And we want them to work for us and not policy them all the time, you know, to say what you should do. They should normally become intelligent enough to talk to each other and, and serve us, just tell us, you know, these are the decisions that are ready to be uh, taken, you know, go for it. Huh? So that's, that's how the future of the IoT world is gonna be.
Wow, you really kind of uh, provided a that's a kind of interesting vision of you know billions of devices talking to each other without too much human um, operational without the need for human operational control. I wanted to ask you about the compute um, on that. What are the compute the 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 implications for computing power? You suggested the IPv6 stack required a bit more faster compute and there's a lot of tech the reason i'm asking is that in this podcast we've covered a lot of technologies in, for example the metaverse or um, in other areas where one of the challenges has ironically been computing power so it's one of the reasons i'm asking about this you know is is computing power given that ipv6 you mentioned does require that stack is that going to be a challenge or do you think that's something that's in the near term will be solved very easily uh, you have multiple uh, things that uh, you know have to be upgraded. So, so basically, if you want to do all of these things uh, with the current infrastructure we have, we can do a few things. But the, the world, you know, advances uh, in every every place, be it in the chip side or in the computer uh, processing uh, uh, ASIC side or or the the entire access technologies, be it you know fiber or uh, optics. As, a, as of late, the many things discussed uh, in you know, uh, you know, access technologies such as 5G, 6G down the road. But the, the core thing is really uh, the, is the internet protocol. All the rest is just access technologies. So access technology you know, matures and you add new things to it. And it will depend on the business case. So if you have the business case for it, people will invest to it because the business case justifies the investment. So this is where uh, you know where we evolve in increasing capacity, be it access uh, to uh, you know, fiber to the home, or uh, you know five G to every place. So 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 the business case will, will define the way it is. It can happen quickly, but it can also take some time in different areas. So I would expect that investment in the infrastructure especially now with COVID has shown that, you know, you can do uh, a lot of work from home. But that is something new to all of us. So while most of the homes are not well equipped as the, in the enterprise. So I guess I would expect the, the home will be equipped as, as well as in the enterprise in the future. So it's like, have, like having you know, the enterprise extended to the home. And many big companies really in the past, even 20 years ago, have already asked many of their employees to work from home. So the big corporations have already been doing uh, that kind of decentralizing the, uh, the employees or their manpower outside the enterprise. So, so for that, you need to have uh, the, uh, the uh, access. Uh, and I, I remember the, the uh, decision of the Chinese because of COVID that people had to stay home or work from home and especially uh, schools and rural areas so they have deployed 5G as the fastest way in the world. They have something like 250 million 5G uh, access points in China, which is almost 80% of the 5G deployments in the world because of COVID. So COVID is killing people, but it is also a killer application for technology. So most probably have learned, if we have learned anything from COVID, it's just that we have to go for this, what is called digital transformation. As a matter of fact, it's just progress into technology to all of us. And I think this is a fundamental. We should not uh, use the internet only, only as a casual thing. It has to become part of our lives. 
as a matter of fact, with domination, I would like, but not, not yet the right way. So we have to use it in order to make business and, and do transactions with it. So, you know, doing banking transactions in a secure way. So, so there are many things that need to be fixed down the road. Yeah, and um, your example on kind of household appliances and that that's growing, that's growing very quickly, and and that I suppose it sounds like a very kind of domestic, um, not particularly important development. But in a way, it goes to that point you made about the internet kind of surrounding us and assisting our lives in ways that we increasingly not, are not even aware of. A sort of background service almost like electricity and electricity is of course one of my favorite technologies because it powers so many things and we don't even think about it and that kind of ubiquity is might some is something that we might see in internet devices in the future i think that's exciting i also think there's there's an interesting debate around inviting many of these big tech companies that that play a very large role in kind of global politics now and also kind of within nation states into our homes and I think before COVID-19 there wasn't so much of a debate about this now I think you know in all societies there's there's a bit more of a, a policy debate around you know the privacy aspects the control aspects the the what kind of data is being passed in the background we spoke to a guy called Jack McCauley who was a, um, a peer of Steve Jobs and helped design some of the best well-known gaming IoT devices in the world. And he said, you know, he picked up one of these devices in his home, took it apart, and he said basically he found some stuff that shouldn't be there. So how do you think IBV6 and, and blockchain can play a role in, in helping with ubiquity, but also protecting Okay, sorry about, I'm not sure. Yeah, that was from my end. Um, so we are still recording yeah. um, and we will just edit that out. But I will go back to my question because I thought it was quite an important one. And then after that, if you don't mind, I'm going to quickly ask you about 5G. Um, so where was I? Um, yeah, so just in summary, I wanted to ask a bit about how, you know, given the ubiquity of these devices, IPv6 or blockchain or other instruments can be used to provide privacy and data sovereignty guarantees, not simply for states, but also for individuals. And that seems to be part of building trust and part of the uh, bridge towards giving consumers confidence in using these devices more and more for their health and for intimate aspects of their lives. Yes, so basically, you know, you're touching a very important issue. So uh, I would not... Uh, you know, encourage governments to uh, kind of uh, control the internet or try to put policies that are not uh, feasible technically. So you have to have really a very deep understanding of the internet protocol. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, I can hear you. Great. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like, for instance, GDPR, which is which had a good intention in mind. So basically, you know, to protect people. But then again, it has given the, the web servers, the web service providers, the opportunity to say, you know, uh, you have to agree to access my website. And people don't read the small print. And it says, you know, you have given me uh, authority to use your private data and so on. So it has a, you know, a negative impact on the users because they put a big screen to hide 
the entire website and you have to agree you know to open it so instead of maybe doing something else to say okay if i say i agree to you you have to pay me something and this is where probably blockchain can be used you know to pay you know cents uh, to each one that agrees so at least people when they give their data then they are you know kind of uh, paid for paid getting paid for it no, something like 10 cents or something like that which is not much but if you do it you know with multiple places where people are asking you to agree to their terms and you are giving them their private data then that would make sense but the current proposal is is now the opposite is if companies have understood how to misuse gdpr you know to have access to private data which is an irony so uh so, so, it, okay. it is a real irony, and I'm glad you said that because, um, you know, in the Middle East, you can have that debate. I found, particularly in in, in Europe, I'm, I'm based, uh, you know, I'm based in in the UK for for this call, and you cannot criticize GDPR because the the debate around it has been so well coordinated that to criticize GDPR is almost to criticize privacy, or you're seen as being unduly critical of you know a, a positive policy development. And, you know, I think the intent behind GDPR was great, but it's been very um, heavy on small publishers, very small and medium enterprises. And it also hasn't always done what it says on the tin. And just visually in terms of user interface, it's incredibly annoying to go on a website that has three or four pop-ups noise or also having to click on the GDPR. So uh, while it's fetid as a success in a lot of European capitals, I've spoken to a lot of people who, who you know, in in kind of um, from a technology background who haven't been that happy with it. But then on the other side, you have the United States where, you know, you go on a website and you have no idea what's being collected. So it seems like, uh, you know, the, 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 the moves in this space from governments haven't been adequate and the blockchain community might be onto a point when they've said, you know, give give us a give us a shot because we can't be worse than what's already happening. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, it's better to, to be in the US at this stage, because at least you are, you are getting access to the data without giving an okay to these guys to exploit your data. Uh, because, uh, you know, the privacy data is big business in the US and around the world. It's the biggest business. So the, the entire marketing companies, you know, they live off privacy data. So you cannot kill it. You will always find ways you know, to get this. But then when you put policy you know, to give them you know, an official right to collect data, then basically you make them uh, legal to use the privacy data. So I would recommend the, uh, you know, a real review of GDPR. So at least you know, if you say, okay, we've got GDPR now, but for payment, at least people that are clicking on these uh, these devices are getting some money for it and it could be a big job for many you know just spend their time clicking yes on all the websites to collect some money to 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 pay you know a drink for themselves so, but at least that would have and this this you can do with blockchain that's for sure down the road we'll be able to do that because you need micro payments which cannot be done properly with the current uh, payment system yeah and i think i think culturally it would all yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. It would also have a culturally very big impact on, on the internet because populations would begin to realize that their data has a financial value for most users on the internet who aren't at a large 
you know, large corporation, the idea that that their interactions have any monetary value at all doesn't really seem that real. But suddenly, if they're making you know hundredth of a cent on some of their interactions, they suddenly begin to realize, oh yes, the data I'm producing has some value. Um, going towards that, I wanted to finally ask you because we're getting towards the end of our time today, a bit about the role of mobile technology. Um, and that's that's two points, really. The kind of dissemination of mobile devices, where in, in some states like the UAE, there's something like over 100% uh, mobile phone penetration. So most people ha- actually have two smartphones. And also the role of I, um, sorry, 5G and, and possibly in future 6G and what the relationship of these technologies is to IPv6 and the future of the internet. So, so 5G now has been specified to use IPv6. And in some of the large uh, deployments of 4G, like the one in India with Reliance Jail, they have uh, 350 million 4G using IPv6 only. Okay, so, so this is the biggest greenfield deployment in the world because the company is brand new, only five years old, and they have captured Basically, you know, made India number one in terms of uh, uh, 4G and, and, and using IPv6. And uh, so, so in 5G, you have two things. You have 5G standalone, which is basically 5G only, and 5G non-standalone. And non-standalone means you still have 3G and 4G. And there is a historical uh, reason for that is that when 4G was designed at the beginning, it did not include the voice in it. So you had to keep 3G and not use voice uh, on 4G. So later on, voice over uh, uh, LTE has been added, but most of the deployment has been still keeping 3G running. And that mistake was not made with 5G deployments. Uh, so, uh, so the standalone has voice in it. So if you go to 5G standalone, then you have voice included. And most of the innovative companies have moved directly to 5G standalone, such as T-Mobile in, in, in the US, for instance. And, and when you move to 5G, today you don't have IP call addresses anyway. So you go for uh, IPv6 automatically. It's an automatic upgrade from, four, from IPv4 to uh, IPv6. Uh, so, uh, so then we have now 6, 6G discussion it's obviously a lot of research is going on because 5G is still not yet really deployed in a big way, uh, you know, either in Europe or in, in the US. So that will take you know a, a couple of uh, years until some of the countries have allowed the auctions to happen, like France or or some other countries. Some other countries have even delayed them, and they cost money as well. So we would see a bit of delay of 5G, but the researchers get uh, research money for 6G. 6G, uh, you know, is looking at terahertz. And terahertz is uh, very high speed. You're talking about terabit access, but it has a couple of problems. Is that it cannot has only a, a re- an outreach of 10 meters compared to 5G. You know, you have you know, a couple of thousand meters. So it's, so you can deploy it in large scale, and then it needs. Uh, 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 it cannot cross windows and 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 uh, and the walls. Uh, uh, can be used properly only indoor. So if you are outdoor and you have sandstorm 
or rain or leaves dropping, they cut the communication on terahertz. So, so it has only a specific uh, uh, kind of windows or niche deployments, like in data centers where you have a spaghetti fiber on the back of these uh, big servers. So you can replace them in this case with terahertz or in uh, uh, factories with with the uh, with the uh, uh, production lines, and you need to change them every month or every two months, and you need for that fiber optic in order to do that. So you can replace it in this case with terahertz. So so six G will not replace five G. Will be complementary. So the only way in order to make six G to be very interesting is to look at it as an overall view of what in this case how to get everything to interoperate with each other. Like in this case, taking satellites, 5G, you know, all of the other uh, access technologies and, and the sea, what are cables, and to make them as an interoperable ecosystem. So most probably that would be a better way of defining 6G down the road. But 5G would be with us forever, for a long time, unless we invent something. But from the spectrum we have, uh, there is not much uh, we can do unless you know something very new is discovered on this planet. Now, some new spectrum that we don't know about it today. Yeah, it is interesting to see how um, the rollout of five G in in the east and in in countries like the UAE and Dubai as well, and then you know come back come back home to 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 the west at times and and see the rollout hasn't been as wide. Um, on that note, Professor, I think we've run out of time today, but um, I feel a bit guilty because I think we've spent the entire podcast learning from you, and um, in a way, it's been a it's been a very good technical overview of everything. And I think you know some of the people who are interested in in uh, the infrastructure powering the internet will find a, a lot of that discussion absolutely uh, fascinating. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah. And yeah, thank you. You have very, very educated the question. As a matter of fact, you have done your homework properly. I appreciated your question. Thank you. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboweba Business, syndication distribution on Alboweba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboweba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.